Thank you, worship team, and good morning, Crossway Wilmington. My name is Mike Shuffle, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossway, and we will be closing out chapter one of James, and so if you'll go ahead and turn to James one, uh, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 27. Here at Crossway, we want to be a people that root our lives deeply in the word of God, amen? As pastors, we can't ever stand up here and overstate it. We can never overstate the importance of God's word. We can't overpreach it. It's not possible. Because we know that we never graduate from our need for God's word in our life. And that's why we started the new year in Psalm 119, where we looked at what it meant to walk in the word, and that walking in the word was the path of blessing. And to walk in the word it required diligence, and to walk in the word, it was a delight. And we were all encouraged by that as we started the new year. And then we looked just a few weeks ago before we started James, we looked at the question that Matt posed for us of how do we know that God is at work? We know God is at work because we are growing in maturity, growing in likeness to Jesus. And the chief way we can gauge God's work in us is his life worked outward from us. We, as the children of light, we reflect the light of Jesus to the world by the way that we live. And if we delight in God and his word, it changes us. It changes the way that we live. It changes the choices that we make. And it does not leave us merely hearers of the word this morning, but doers which is what James is getting at in today's passage. And so we'll turn to chapter one and we'll read verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away. and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. God, you are worthy of it all, and you are deserving of all glory here today. God, you brought each and every single one of us to this location, to this room, right here, right now, for your word to us. Would you help us, God? We need 
your heart or your help. Help us to rid any distraction that would keep us from hearing your word. And God, please do not leave us as a church as simply hearers only, but that we would go from here and be a doer who acts. We need your help for that, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amber and I, uh, we were gone last week because we were at a marriage conference in Charlotte, and it was uh, a tremendous blessing for us and for our marriage. Uh, we had a really uh, great time at the conference, but in the conference was a date night set aside for us to go out on a date. But before that date, we were instructed to write love letters to one another. So in our hotel room, before we went out, we sat at a small table and looked across at one another, and we read those love letters to each other. And Amber's love letter started with, to the love of my life. <laughs> uh, I was leaned in. I wanted to hear what was coming next, right? And we see that same language in James here in verse 19 as he starts in the passage that we're looking at today, and that is to know this, my beloved brothers. It's a careful, it's an affectionate term that he uses, and we all as a as the people of God should want to lean in and know what's coming next. What does James have to say for those that he loves most as he shares with them? So know this, my beloved brother. Know what? Well, last week, uh, Matt took us through verses 16 through 18, and we saw that God brings us forth both by his will and the word. And now as we seek to walk in that new life, he calls us to the centerpiece of today's message, and that is verse 22, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Arguably, you could say this is the theme verse for all of James, because this is the Christian life. We do what the word says. We want to be doers of the word, but in order to be doers, we must hear First, the word in order to know what to go and do. And so we look into verse 19 where we see first that we must be ready to hear. Ready to hear. And we do that by being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. As I prepared, there's kind of clear two interpretations of this verse. One it would be an abrupt parenthetical statement as much of the book of James is, where James just kind of drops in there this life principle of slow to speak, slow, or quick, to, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When life is hard, when we face temptation, when we face difficulty, one of the most natural fleshly responses that we have is anger. Any relationship, whether in marriage, whether at work, whether here within our church family, whether any circumstance that we may be in, any trial, any temptation, any situation, we would all agree this principle applies. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And much of God's word has to say about this. We see in Proverbs 10:19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 
Proverbs 13.3 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So we need to guard our mouths as we interact with each other and we need to be great listeners. The second interpretation of this would be that this is actually an attitude in the way in which we approach God's word. We must be ready to hear the word by being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. See, listening was imperative for James's audience because in that day, virtually all communication of the gospel was oral at that time. So if they did not come ready to hear and they did not listen, they would miss the opportunity for the spiritual nourishment that they needed from his word. And I think we could all agree that we run that same risk today. While the communication may look different, no one needs convincing that we struggle to listen. And it is a great need for us in the church today. I'll list a couple of reasons why we struggle to listen. One, that we are so self-consumed that we can't listen. Two, that we are intent on what we want to say next. We are so intent on what we want to say that we fail to listen. But the next two, I would argue, are the most important, and that is our lives are packed. We are busy people, and the busyness, it fills our calendars, but at the same time, that busyness empties our lives of the ability to listen. So we have to make time to be able to hear and do God's word. It's not just gonna happen, not gonna happen by accident, but we have to make space for it. And quite simply, Sunday mornings alone are just not enough. The last one, why it's difficult for us to to listen, it's the visual and social media of our day. It feeds our inability to concentrate. The attention span of our day is declining, and we all know this. For those who have kids, Whenever I walk in the door, and if there happens to be a show on, or if our girls are on the phone for whatever reason, they ain't hearing anything that I say. I get a warm welcome most days when I walk in the house, but if the TV's on, it's like, hello, anybody? And they are laser focused because it has their attention, and they can't hear anything else. So the reality is, if we don't control our time, the media will. And if it will absolutely impair your ability to hear and certainly hear the written word of God. And so to profit from God's word, we must be quick to hear. And it's easy uh, for us to be quick to speak and quick to become angry versus hearing. Yesterday, as we approached God's word at Forge, the men's breakfast, there was probably some things that uh, were not easy for us to hear. Some truths that as we heard them, the temptation was probably for immediately for us to do what? Start speaking to ourselves. Is this really, is this really what God's called us to as men? Is this, or feeling called out in some way where maybe uh, not liking what uh, it was that we are hearing? But to profit from the word, we must slow ourselves from speaking. We must slow the anger. Most of us have heard We have two ears and one mouth, and that's for a reason. But not only being slow to speak, but slow to angry, or slow to anger, because we know an angry spirit, this is what it is not. It is not a listening spirit, 
nor is it a teachable spirit. So bottom line, if we want to grow and we are slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger, we will not grow in the word. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 20. Anger hinders the production of the righteousness in God. And I don't know about you, when I read that, I don't want to be doing anything that would put myself in a position to stand in between the good things that God is trying to produce in my life. And if anger is active, not only does it get in the way of production of righteousness, but those who lose their temper, they lose and hurt their witness to the world. We have a good group of college students here uh, this morning, and I was thinking about, for me in college, I was a terrible sport. So intramurals, whatever it was that I was involved in, I often, if it did not go the way I wanted it to, I responded in anger. And I remember when my wife and I, when we met my roommate, and he wasn't a believer, and this was years later after college, and Amber was talking about me, and he's like, what? He's like, have you ever seen Mike lose in basketball or lose in ping pong? My witness had been damaged because of the way in which I reacted in anger and temptation to a game. So there is nothing, absolutely nothing appealing or attractive about our anger. So whether that's in your marriages, our kids are watching, whether that's in the workplace, our clients, your fellow employees, your employer, they are watching and seeing how you respond to things that cause you to be angry. So let us be different in our responses. Let us be quick to hear. Let us be slow to speak, slow to anger. And then as far as our readiness to hear God's word, we also see that it says to put off or put away. It says, therefore, in verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. To be freed up and ready to hear the word, we have to put away. And this putting away literally carries the idea of taking off a garment. We are taking off the old clothes. And James tells us to put aside the sinful and selfish ideas of the world and to come humbly to the word. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race as set before us. Ephesians 4.22, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You ever had a conversation with someone where you ask them about their time in the word and they respond by saying, yeah, it just doesn't do anything for me. I, I sit down, I try to read, and I just don't get anything out of the word. That's probably saying far more about the reader than it is about the word of God. Because the reality is the word of God is living and it is active, and if that is you, who doesn't get anything out of the word, then it's possible that you probably haven't carefully approached his word. And the putting off so often goes with our desires. Those that we also have conversations with where they talk about, well, I just don't desire. I just, I, I don't have any hunger for the word. Well, it's because of 
so often the filth or the sin that is so, um, of, so persistent in their life that causes them to not have the desire for his word. And so a few questions for us to consider. One, do you desire to read the word? And do you delight in it? Perhaps you were delighting in it in January when we, were on, when we talked about it in Psalm 119, but now here we are in mid-March. Are we still delighting to be in God's word? And then secondly, is it a treasured and cherished possession for you? Because church family, if it's not, if the answer is no to that question, then it's probably because there's sin in our life that we need to deal with. Sin that is drawing your affections away from the word. So we are to get rid of it. We are to throw out the filth. And then we are to receive the word with meekness. So we are ready to hear the word. And then we are called to receive the word. The rest of Verse 21 says, and, to and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So the implanted word we see or we have heard in verse 18 last week that we are given life through this word of truth, the gospel. This word is now implanted in us. It has taken root in us if you are born again as a believer today, and we are born again by the word, and now the word stays with us. And not only is it implanted in us, the word stays with us, but it is at work in us. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And as we already said, we had four, Hebrews 4.12, the word is living and active. And then here in James 1.21 says, it actually saves us. Kent Hughes has a great quote. He says, the word becomes a sacred deposit in the Christian life when he is born again. He uses his word in saving us, not only from damnation in eternity, but from damage in this life. The word changes us, it shapes and forms us, it grows us and matures us as we live through this life. So we are to receive the word, but we are to receive with meekness. So what is meekness? Meekness is not weakness. It is the very opposite of the anger that we see in verse 19. It is a warm welcome of God's word. We don't argue with it. We honor it as the word of God. We don't try to twist it to conform to our thinking, but we receive it for what the word says. It's almost as if meekness is saying, I will do anything to look more like Jesus. And as a church family for us as Crossway Wilmington, I hope that is something that we will echo, that we, we will do Anything, whatever it takes, if it's making me look more like Jesus. Well, we have to be in it every day. We know that we cannot live without the word. So, so far we see that we need to ready ourselves to hear, and we need to receive the word with meekness. 
And now we see that we are to respond to the word. God calls us to respond. And verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you catch that, James is saying there's a danger here. And here's the danger. We will think that we have done something because we have heard the word. But we will be lying to ourselves to think that we grew today based on hearing information. We will grow as we respond based on what we have heard today. There's a great illustration Chuck Swindoll has in his book, Improving Your Serve. It's a little lengthy, but stay with me, and I really want you to listen to the language that you hear in this illustration. Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant and company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family and the move to Europe for six to eight months and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you directions and instructions. Everybody track him. I leave you and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all of my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office. I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room, and she is doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite disco station. I look around and notice the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you are finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on, man? What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. Sure, I got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have had letter study every Friday night since you left. We have even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things that you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two of us even memorized an entire letter or two. Hey, great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, you got my letters. You studied them and meditated on them, discussed and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? Um, we didn't do anything about them. I can hear, hear some of you chuckling in the crowd. We, we all hear that, and that is just utterly and completely ridiculous. We would all agree that such behavior is absolutely absurd. 
But what about us when we hear God's word without the slightest inclination to obey it? That, my friends, is called self-deception. We are kidding ourselves. The word, it transforms us. It transforms the way that we live. And it sounds to me, there's a very familiar passage that James perhaps is referencing to from his brother, Jesus, as he closed out the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 27, 24 through 27 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fallout. Church family, if, we, if all we do as a church is show up on Sundays and listen to the word when we come together for corporate worship, then as verse 26, 26 says, then we are like a fool. We listen and leave, and by lunch, perhaps maybe dinner, it's all gone. What good is that? You know, that hit me hard this week, because I know that I personally am guilty of this, and in some ways, I would challenge us that it's commonly accepted amongst us. We get to our life group, whatever night that may be in the week, and we kind of acknowledge or almost laugh at, what was, I don't even remember what the sermon was about on Sunday, like rem trying to remember having no thought as to what was preached on Sunday. Shoot, for some of us, we're fortunate if we can get past lunch on a Sunday, more, on a Sunday and still remember what it was that we heard in the sermon that day. So the same would go for our personal devotions as we spend time in the word, whether we read or whether we listen to a sermon or podcast, whatever it might be, and then we go about our day and we never think of it again. I think it's important we see here in 23 through 25 that we must remember the word in order to then be able to respond to the word. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we have this picture of a mirror that James gives us, and the mirror is God's word. Well, this first person that looks into the mirror, he forgets. He starts well, he is a hearer of the word, and that's good because there are plenty of people who don't even listen to begin with. But then he looks intently, he actually catches a glimpse of his face, of himself. He catches a glimpse of God, but we know that it ends tragically. He walks away and at once forgets. God's word has no effect on his life. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We see the second 
They are a superior listener. They look into God's word. And this word describes someone who is bending over, almost bending over as if the mirror was on the table to look. And not only look, but he is gripped by what he is looking at, so he keeps on looking. So an example that I thought of, my family and I, we uh, go every summer, we go up to the mountains, we go to uh, Lake Lure for a vacation, and there's a golf course connected to it. One of our favorite family pastimes, or at least for me, I'm not sure about Amber, but we go out in the evening and we go looking for golf balls. So we go out in the golf cart and we go out in the course, and there's a lot of creeks, and then there's a lot of rough, tall grass. And from a distance, and if we're just standing tall, you don't see any golf balls. But the closer we get and the more we lean in and we really give it a gaze and really give it a look and we start to walk through that tall grass, the golf balls just start appearing. And man, that's some exciting stuff when we start collecting, <laughs> collecting the golf balls. You know, it's interesting, and Amber was helping me see this, it's kind of funny how this illustration works because the people that are hitting the golf balls there's, there's people that are leaving them, right? So they either don't care to even look or they're not looking hard enough. And so here we come and we look. And so I want you to think and have that picture in mind as we go to look into God's word. And as we find those golf balls hidden in the tall grass, we pick them up and we take them back and we take them back to our family. We take them back to our life group to share them and we share God's word with those that are in our life. And there's a freeing component to this. It says the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's liberating. It's, this person is seeing themselves more deeply than they ever first, first, the first viewer saw in the mirror. They're meek in spirit, knowing what he is. He does not outgrow the word, does not outgrow our natural self, apart from God. There dwells no good thing, Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am. But it doesn't stop there. The word not only shows himself, or shows the person themselves, but also sees the reflection of the totally holy, transcendent, awesome God. Enabling him to see and understand the necessity of atoning forgiveness from God. There is freedom found in his word. And then we are no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And so as I come trying to uh, close this out, there's a couple of practical things and ways that I want us to remember and respond to God's word. Perhaps, whether it's on Sunday mornings or Whatever it is we're studying, we actually just write down what it is that we hear. And if you're not someone that likes to write or take notes in the moment, then you go home and you write those things down before you forget. Or maybe the sermons are put online every week. You go back and you listen to the message again and you take notes as you listen so that you remember what it was that you heard. Secondly, that you would talk about them. When we get in the car and we leave, what an opportunity, especially for you dads. We want to hear, what did our children have to learn in Sunday school? 
What did we hear? We want to be able to actually talk out what we heard so that we actually remember it. And not only do we talk about it with our family, if you gather with friends on a Sunday after, after church for lunch, you initiate that time to talk. What did we get from the sermon? How does it apply to our life? And this is what happens on each week in our life groups. So thirdly, that we would be committed to a life group because in our life group, we take Sunday morning's message and we discuss what the sermon was about. So we have the opportunity to discuss it in our community. And then we meditate it, meditate on it. And then lastly, we memorize it. You know, I was pretty encouraged to go and memorize scripture back in January coming out of Psalm 119. You know how many verses that I've memorized? Just the passage that I'm preaching on today. Um, not something I'm proud of, but if we, don't, if we do not set out and set a plan, because I've heard it. We heard it at Forge the last time when Adam spoke. We've heard it on Sunday morning. I heard it from a, a brother of mine. Uh, we were gathering, and he had challenged me because he was memorizing James 1 knowing that we were studying James together in these coming months, weeks. So whatever it is, whatever it might be, would we memorize Scripture as a practice so that it, we carry it with us and we have it? The best picture I can give you uh, of our doing, and I'll be quick with this one, but is this idea of the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. But for years, I was fortunate to not have any issues with my teeth but I was not doing what they were telling me to do. And all of that came to a halt two years ago when I walked in, got the, my, uh, the lady who cleans my teeth, everything looks great, I'm feeling good about it. Well, then they took x-rays. When the doctor or dentist came in, and then I found out I had my first cavities. I was not doing the things that I knew I should be doing. Therefore, the end result was pain. <laughs> Lots of pain in my mouth as well as in our wallets, right? Well then, I go to the dentist just recently at the start of the new year. I had a whole year. I knew I had already experienced it. And what did I do? I kept cutting corners. I did not do what I was supposed to do and then ended up with five cavities this go around. The thing about it I think is such a great picture is on the outside, it looks great, but then the x-rays and what reveals the inside, it's decay. And it's decay that ultimately causes destruction and pain that all I have to do is to prevent that pain is just to go and do the simple things that I'm, I know to do and so much of that, I think, applies, and that's where we see there is blessing in doing. Those that you are blessed in his doing is what it says. Doing God's word is the key to blessing. But blessing is to be experienced in obedience to God's word. Psalm 119.1 says, walking in the word, the way of blessing. So we had our four R's. And I'll leave you with this as we close out in 26 and 27. What is our faith and action to look like? What are we to do? Some of you may be asking, like, all right, I'm called to be a doer, so what do I do? 
Well, verse 26 and 27 gives us a couple of things to think on. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion that James is getting at means doing God's word and sharing it. And he gives us three areas in our speech, in our service, and in our separation from the world. Speech, the tongue, reveals the heart. Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the heart is right, the speech will be right. A great quote that was really encouraging for me even this morning as I, as I prepared to preach is a true test of man's religion is not his ability to speak, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. We have to control our tongues. James is getting at next in verse 27, our service, the call to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We are called to care for the unfortunate. In his day, orphans and widows were the most helpless people in the Jewish society, literally desperately needing food and clothing. But this call is a greater call to represent all who are in need. Right here in our community, right here in our neighborhood, we are to be personally involved. And so my challenge to you, and we heard it already, there's an opportunity for an outreach. Every time the outreach team sends something out, anytime we have something to sign up for, an opportunity to serve, there should be a waiting list for that sign up every time because of our church eager to want to be involved and to personally be involved in caring for those who are in need. Lastly, separation. Separation from the world. The call in verse 27 is to keep oneself unstained from the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We can be out in the world doing a lot of good things. We can be responding and we can go and we can be doers. But God calls us to be holy. There's a practical love and then there's a practical holiness. And that is our call to be different. We are different. We are set apart. We are holy, uncommon, living lives of purity. Faith in action, that's the, the series around James. Faith in action for us, it involves our words, it involves our hands, and it involves our hearts. So ready yourself by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive the word humbly with meekness, the word planted in you. Remember it and hide it in your heart and mind. And lastly, respond as you do this. The word which initially gave you life as a Christian and will now continue to work in and through you. And it involves our words, our hands, and our hearts wholeheartedly.